morning, Gloria America. Bonjour. Hi, California. Chew Hewitt inside the Beltway. It's Friday. It's the last radio hour of my week. That means it's time for the Hillsdale Dialogue for, I guess, seven years now. I've been devoting the last hour of my Friday radio show, whether in the mornings now or the afternoons for many years, to a conversation with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, or one of his colleagues, or both. This week, Dr. Matthew Spaulding, dean of the Hillsdale Graduate School in Washington, D.C., joins me. Uh, Dr. Arn is off, you know, enjoying the summer and doing all sorts of summer things in Michigan. Dr. Spaulding is still at it in D.C., locked down with the rest of us. How are you, Matt? Welcome back. I am fine. I am fine. Good to be with you, Hugh. Dr. Arn is actually out uh, on, on his motorcycle somewhere in the, in the Midwest. I knew it. I knew it. I, I knew whatever he says. I got work to do. I know he's actually on a frolic and a detour somewhere. Uh, Matt Spaulding, you and I are going to disagree this week. Uh, I am writing a piece for the Washington Post that begins. Let me just read you the first grab. I haven't gone through editing, yeah. so I don't know if it'll come out. My conservative friends don't like to hear it. My liberal friends don't like to hear it. The extremes at both ends of the political spectrum don't read columns anyway, so they won't even read it. But my radio audience heard it Friday, and it's the simple truth. Chief Justice Roberts is a terrific Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, and history will record him as such. I give you the floor, Matt Spaulding. <laughs> well, uh, look, I think um, I, I think a couple of things. We can talk about particular cases. I think uh, I have uh, seen some more prob- problematic things in the, the Gorsuch decision. I think the DACA decision was less significant, but there are a few practical troubling things I see in it. Uh, but I think the broader question you raise in, in the broader question, for instance, uh, Senator Hawley raises about the conservative legal movement, those are things we should be thinking through because um, it's very important that we stay on the same page with pushing uh, for good justices and good, good appointments. Now, having said that, your, your point about uh, the chief justice in particular um, I'd have to say my, my, my jury is out on that one. I think he is, um, uh, you know, so, so, you know, this case, the census case, the Obamacare case. Um, Those are the three I have in my draft opinion. You just named the I, I, litany I of what, three. I can see what he's trying to do. I can see what he wants to protect the court. He's very much a rule and procedures guy. But, um you know, my concern, and this is, this goes to I think, the heart of the discussion about the conservative legal legal movement, is that sometimes some of all we have these great justices, great judges, great legal thinkers, but they can miss the forest for the trees. And, and here, you know, here's where 80, I want to start. Eighty percent of the time it works, but but sometimes it doesn't. And in this day and age, when those kinds of questions are coming before us, these fundamental questions about rights and human nature and uh, what it means to be human, um, that stuff really matters. And I think it's important for us to think through those things uh, and deliberate about them and talk about them as we move forward so we, so we, so we don't get caught in those extreme backs and forth, let's throw them all out, uh, let's, you know, it's, it's all lost. I, I think in, the, in, in that sense, I think we broadly agree. Yeah, well, uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I want to begin by, by reading headlines. Trump bid to end DACA blocked by Supreme Court, reads the Wall Street Journal. The Washington Post, recent Supreme Court decisions show it can be hard for presidents to direct it, to dictate its direction. Michael Shear, setback on immigration policy goal leaves Trump fuming over makeup of courts. But then I note, 
Uh, Senate confirmed judge with ties to Mitch McConnell. Uh, That's Justin Walker, who's now on the D.C. Circuit. The 52nd federal judge appointed to the appeals court of the United States. uh, uh, President Trump has nominated two and has seen confirmed two Supreme Court. There may be retirements we don't know coming up. Uh, He'll get three maybe. My point is the court makes decisions broadly in four areas about the Constitution about disputes that arise among the states, about federal statutes, and about regulations. The least important ones are about regulations because the agencies can change them. The, most, the, the next least important about statutes because Congress can change them. The most important ones are about disputes between states because they go to federalism. And the most important of all are those about the Constitution. Has Roberts or Gorsuch gotten anything wrong on the Constitution, Matt Spaulding? Um. Uh, let me give you, let me hear out my nuanced answer, which is, I think you're correct. And I agree with you about that level of importance. The problem is that where we are today, given the state of jurisprudence, is that it's often the case that decisions which seem to only deal with statutes or even regulations for that matter, as in the case of the uh, Civil Rights Act, those things uh, cause and, and really exert, as, as Alito said in his dissent, exert a gravitational pull to constitutional cases. Um, and something like the Civil Rights Act especially kind of takes on, has taken on a, this, this pseudo-constitutional meaning, which has huge impact. So, again, on the one hand, I agree with you. On the other hand, we need to be aware where we are and when the Supreme Court can change the meaning of a term – even though it's only in a regulation or a statute, that could have monumental implications for constitutional decisions down the road. Uh, it, undoubtedly, it can. But am I correct that by simple majority, uh, the Senate can agree, and by simple majority, the House can agree, to change the terms of the Civil Rights Act of 1964? Absolutely. They are, absolutely. They are unlikely to do so. Should have, that's how it should have been, been amended. Yeah, they are unlikely that? to do so. But uh, 25 states have already changed their equivalents to cover sexual orientation. And do you agree with me that it is broadly the case that most people in the United States do not want people fired or hired on the basis of sexual orientation? Well, but, but, but here we come back to the, the real distinction here, right? Are, there, there are a couple of things. There's a philosophical question about, uh, about what, terms, what the term sex means in, in the law. Uh, but then you have this practical question, which is, who should go about making that decision? And I think one of the issues, and this is what uh, Justice Alito's dissent comes to at, at great length, is that that's why we have legislatures, so they can deliberate and they don't make binary judicial decisions. They can make accommodations. They can express protections um, and, and those kinds of things. Um, yes, uh, in, in most cases, when it comes to employment, most employers, big employers especially, are already making uh, decisions and carrying this out. But that's the kind, precisely the kind of thing that if that's where we want to go as a nation, uh, that's what the legislature should do. And they, actually, that's Gorsuch's own argument. That's the argument of the court for ordinary meaning, which is that if it's not in the ordinary meaning or clear in the text or the original meaning, they should defer to the, the legislature. That's historically what's always happened. That's his own argument. That's Scalia's argument. Um, that's not, uh, unfortunately, what has happened here. 
And I find that uh, uh, problematic. So the policy discussion is really separate from the legal reasoning question, which I, I think it's, uh, it's bungled, it's awkward, and I think it has, because it's a judicial decision, which is a binary decision, which sets, it, sets a great precedent, it has um, unforeseen and unknown implications down the road. Now, Matt, what you're doing, though, is you're smuggling in the uh, originalist textualist argument that ordinary meaning is anchored in the in the time that it is passed. Ordinary meaning, uh, as Justice Gorsuch argued. Now, I probably would have been with the dissent. I'm just arguing it's not crazy. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Ordinary meaning in 1964 is different from ordinary meaning in 2020. And ordinary meaning in 2020 is... Uh, I think consistent with the Gorsuch opinion and the chief may have joined that. I don't know what the chief really thinks he joined it and he probably assigned the opinion to Gorsuch and Gorsuch made his views known from the court, but it's not what my point is. It's not crazy. It's not radical. It's not legislating from the bench to adopt the position at ordinary meaning is ordinary meaning on the text as it applied in 2020 and the, and the Congress can change it. Ordinary meaning when it comes to the APA is is a completely different argument. And I want to come back to that in the next two segments on DACA. A terrible abuse of executive power can be reversed by the administrative agencies of the United States if they do it the right way. And I, right. I think and, and, what Roberts, Roberts is saying that, and Roberts invited them to do that. I, that I agree with. You see, and so I, I, I just don't think Josh Hawley and we'll come back to this should be wringing his hands. The judicial project on the conservative side remains as important today as it has been for the 30 years that Matt Spaulding and I have been working for it. When we come back from break, well, uh, do you agree with that, Matt? It's still important. No, it, it, it's as important as ever, but he raises some important questions that we as serious thinkers should be concerned about. I don't want to come back to that. That's what we'll do. In fact, we're going to spend the entire hour because we both respect... Uh, Senator Hawley so much. He is ironically a Chief Justice Roberts clerk. Uh, And I respect Tom Cotton. He's upset with the Chief Justice, too. I'm just not. We'll continue the conversation, America. Stay tuned. Hey there, I'm Scott Bertram, and I'm the director of the Hillsdale College Podcast Network. This show and all the other shows on the network are listener-supported. That means we hope for, we count on, frankly, we rely on the support of listeners like you, to make our educational outreach possible. One of the best and most convenient ways to do so is joining the Liberty and Learning Society. That's our exclusive monthly giving group. And in this month of March, we are looking for 300 new members of the Liberty and Learning Society. When you join, you'll help defend liberty through education, and you'll make shows like this one possible far into the future. All you have to do is visit hillsdale.edu monthly and complete the secure online donation form. If you need to pause or stop your gift at some point, no problem. Just call us. One of our friendly students or staff will help you. But today, will you be one of the 300 new members of the Liberty and Learning Society in March? Go to hillsdale.edu monthly to join the Liberty and Learning Society today. 
Help us bring these shows to you and other Americans at hillsdale.edu slash monthly. Welcome back, America. 22 minutes after the hour. I'm Hugh Hewitt inside the ReliefFactor.com studio, joined by Matt Spaulding. He is dean of the uh, Claremont, uh, the Claremont Institute. No, he's not. He's dean of the Hillsdale Graduate School in Washington, D.C. It used to be easy when we just call it the Kirby Center. <laughs> now it's the Graduate School. Uh, by the way, Dean Spaulding, how goes the Graduate School in this time of long-distance learning? It, it, go, it goes fine. It goes fine. We've just actually uh, closed admissions for the fall, and we expect to have a full class and so we're, we're, we're pressing ahead. We're doing our classes on zoom and doing some social gathering, but uh, education goes forth and, and teaching, teaching, teaching is actually occurring. I, I have to, uh, I have to warn you. that I, I'm glad to hear that. And I'm glad that it's a full class. How many people, it is such an elite program. If you have not investigated the graduate program and statesmanship run by the Hillsdale graduate school in Washington, DC, you ought to find it at hillsdale.edu. All things Hillsdale are collected at hillsdale.edu. Now, Matt Spaulding, tell me your interpretation of Senator Hawley's uh, address from the Senate floor on Tuesday following the decision interpreting yeah, yeah. the word sex in the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Uh, well, good, because here I think we get to the heart of the, the matter that we should be uh, we should be thinking through. And I say that, that uh, I concur in part and dissent in part. Um, uh, the concurrence, I think we've, we've already alluded to, but I would, I would reiterate, I think he raises a, uh, uh, the, he kind of goes to the heart of the problem of that, of that decision, which is it changes the term of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Uh, Congress has chosen not to do so on many occasions. Uh, the EEOC over all those years didn't interpret it that way, and yet the claim here is that this is a simple and straightforward way of reading it. Um, it essentially is legislation and an amendment. I agree with that, his, his read on it. However, he says we should, we, we should uh, essentially uh, throw out or reconsider the whole bargain, as he calls it, with the conservative legal movement. The bargain he's talking about is the bargain between uh, religious conservatives and the establishment that religious conservatives would vote um, and the establishment would appoint on the uh, guarantee or the bargain would be they would protect religious liberty. Uh, they have not done so, he says. Uh, and so, therefore, we should throw that bargain out. I think he overshoots the mark. Uh, I think it's, it's uh, too much to say based on this particular case. I can see his concern, however. I think fiddling with the terms of, uh, of, of meaning of words is, is problematic. I recall penumbras and emanations. But having said that, I think he goes too far. Um, but he points to, I think, some very serious questions that we ought, it's always good to rethink. The conservative uh, legal movement, you know this well, I know this well, having been a long time working for uh, Attorney General Ed Meese. Uh, you know, comes out of a debate with Justice Brennan uh, in the you know 1980s that uh, Ed Meese picked with him, having to do with kind of reaching outside the Constitution for other principles. Uh, as a result, the conservative legal movement uh, regrounded itself, this new movement in this idea of originalism, going back to the original meaning of the Constitution. That is all all well and good, a great, probably one of the most important movements in the 
within conservatism to recenter on the Constitution. Uh, but there's a debate within that. There always has been, and I, I think this Gorsuchism draws it out uh, between a narrow textualism, which merely looks to the particulars of the Constitution, um, and a broader original meaning or broader philosophically informed textualism, originalism, that also uh, takes into consideration the philosophical, moral groundings of the Constitution. So, so for instance, uh, to use a historical example to put it out of, take it out of the immediate context, uh, the Dred Scott decision. How do you interpret the word person? Well, if you look narrowly at the Constitution, you might exclude slaves, which is what Tani did. Broader speaking, person includes all human beings. That debate, I think, is he is drawing that out and pointing us towards that. And that, I think, is a good thing for him to do to help us be better constitutionalists. And when we come back, we'll talk about the, the danger of what Senator Hawley did, which is to discourage people about the importance of and the continuing success in the judicial project to infuse originalism into the federal judiciary. Stay tuned. I'm Hugh Hewitt. I'll be back with Dean Spaulding. Hillsdale.edu is where you find all these things. Stay with us. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt, joined by Matthew Spaulding, Dean of the Graduate School of Hillsdale in the heart of Washington, D.C. at the Kirby Center. All things Hillsdale are found at hillsdale.edu. All of my previous Hillsdale dialogues are collected at hughforhillsdale.com. Dean Spaulding and I are talking about the conservative judicial project. And I want to go back to this because uh, Senator Hawley, whom we both know and admire and enjoy the company of, and Senator Cotton, whom we both know and admire and enjoy the company of, have both attacked the Supreme Court this week. Now, Matt Spaulding, I don't think it is conservative, and neither of them, by the way, used personal terms. I don't right. think it is conservative to attack justices on the court in personal terms. Do we agree on that? Uh, no, we do. And, and you've noted here, but Justice, uh, excuse me, uh, Senator Hawley really goes out of his way to say this is not personal. He actually takes it out of the context of the particular decision and literally talks about the conservative legal movement and this bargain, as I referred to it earlier. But, but yes, no personal attacks. And, and so I think jurisprudence. I, I think Twitter and social media generally, but Twitter specifically, tends to amplify extremes of argument about the justices to the injury of the institution and our conversation. So it's not about people. It's about approaches. And when we see 52 appeals court judges confirmed, if we reelect Donald Trump, that will be 100. What right. will the impact of that be on the federal judges below the Supreme Court, Matt oh, no, Spaulding? No. Absolutely monumental. I mean, if, if you, when, you, when we look back, if, if we're able to turn the tide on the trajectory of the constitutional debates about the republic over some time now, that will be the the uh, most important thing we point to, which is why earlier I alluded to the fact that that this this legal movement going back to Ed Ed Meese um, is one of one of the most significant movements uh, in in this larger project to recover the principles of our of our country. Absolutely. But here's you. Let me let me make a distinction. Um, And this is a distinction that holds true in numerous things, not just in this in this area, which is. There, there is a distinction to be made between a, uh, a political movement, 
uh, which I think we are both rightly praising, and an intellectual movement. And this this thing, this conservative legal movement, has an aspect of both. Yes. I'll be very clear here. In terms of the political movement, we are, I think, in complete agreement, which is to say that we need to appoint these justices. Uh, they're not all perfect because humans aren't perfect. But gosh, just look at the at the effect this is having over time. Um, what I'm criticizing is is the some aspects of the intellectual movement. I think there's a healthy, good debate there uh, that we ought to have because we're serious people. And there's a difference between Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito and Kavanaugh and Gorsuch and right. Yes. We debate these things because that's what we do. We are conservatives, and the intra-conservative debates are the uh, uh, in ways the most interesting, the most significant, because we're debating about serious things and how to do this constitutionally. That's for the good. I think that there, I'm raising questions about how some of these decisions are being uh, being arrived at. There's um, a, a, an important distinction between Clarence Thomas, who has what approach is really a natural law jurisprudence behind his constitutionalism uh, and a, a more narrowly textualist decision, uh, especially if it gets towards kind of legal positivism. These are very significant questions that we ought to be thinking about as we contemplate this. But that's an intellectual debate, intellectual debate that has huge implications for large constitutional questions. But we ought to keep a very healthy distinction between that and this larger political movement, uh, which is about appointing judges and about turning the corner and and recovering uh, constitutional order. And, and there, I think, we're in complete agreement. And the American people and others who are listening ought to keep that distinction in mind as they are thinking through what to do in, in elections and and other decisions and practical decisions going forward. Because the, the alternative is not a dispute about particular decisions. It's despair over being ruled by an unelected majority of nine. Uh, a, a majority of un, unelected nine justices, which is Justice Scalia used to refer to some of their wilder decisions. I want to refer to uh, Finley Peter Dunn, who, who created the character Mr. Dooley who was a, uh, a political savant. And Mr. Dooley said, uh, asked about the court's ivory tower reputation that, quote, no matter what the Constitution follow, what no matter whether the Constitution follows the flag or not, the Supreme Court follows the election returns. Now, I've always believed that to be true. I've always believed that they do so by deferring in election years, especially difficult questions that may be impacted by the court. Uh, they did so in 2012 on Obamacare, and the conservative movement is better for it. They have done so this year on DACA, and the conservative movement is better for it. That's not a constitutional question. It's a question about the political consequences of what the court does. Agree or disagree, Dean Matt Spaulding? No, I, I, I think that's right. That's probably the best argument you could make for something like this, uh, the DACA decision. I, I think that uh, uh, I think it's, you know, all other things being equal, uh, it's not clear to me that the, uh, uh, the, the, the uh, Procedures Act should, uh, should apply the way he's applied it. It's clearly not lawful. Having said that, he's made a percent prudential decision to put this off. Now, so I, I, that's, that's the best case you can make for that decision. 
That, however, does not apply to the uh, civil rights case decision there. Um, and, and, and that's where I'm getting to the, this, this point about the deeper philosophical intellectual aspects. So you, 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 you're making a distinction, which I agree with, which is um, structural uh, kind of practical arguments. Uh, and in this case, putting off something uh, which likely will come back to them by their invitation and likely lead to a, have a good outcome uh, if they can get it done before the election or if he's reelected. Um, but I'm also pointing to us to uh, consider here uh, the other kind of deeper philosophical things that I think uh, it's right for us to be disturbed about having to do with some of the logic behind, for instance, the civil rights uh, decision when the court, uh, whether it's through methods of textualism or I think more of a literalism, it doesn't work in my opinion, uh, start changing the meaning of words in ways that uh, the, the legislative branch, which is the legitimate lawmaker, has chosen not to do and essentially has done that through a judicial amendment process. That's where I get um, – I make a distinction. I don't think that undermines the, 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 pro, the project of conservative legalism, um, but it does remind us that uh, – and actually it underscores the importance of that judicial movement – we can't do this in an unmindful, unthoughtful way, just throwing judges up there. Uh, we got to think about this. What is a proper jurisprudence? Uh, what are the principles that ought to guide uh, judges? Um, and that should be part of a, a more robust discussion. I, I, you know, ju- uh, uh, Senator Hawley, in my opinion, uh, actually starts moving in the right direction. He's raising some very important questions. Uh, it could have been uh, uh, deeper. It could have been more thoughtful. It could have, uh, and, and I think I, I'm hoping he will go there. Um, uh, I, I think he went too far in coming completely and quickly to the uh, decision that uh, this whole bargain should be thrown out. That, well, that, yeah, think, we agree on that. Practical. But I want to go back to Justice Gorsuch, uh, Matt Spaulding, in, in, in what remains of this segment and the next. Justice Gorsuch makes this argument. Um, The word sex is used in the 1964 Act on its face. He rejects the reference to legislative history as inappropriate for textualists. Uh, There's an argument about that. That's the Scalia position. And he says, if a man is employed on Friday and over the weekend he gets married to a man and on under the laws of the United States, as they have been interpreted in the past in many places like California, New York. And now it's the law of the land. And he comes to work on Monday and he's fired because he got married. But a woman who got married to a man over the weekend is not fired because she got married. That is because of sex. And he is arguing that there isn't any way in 2020 to say it isn't to me. That doesn't engage the central project of the conservative judicial movement. In fact, although I think I would have gone with the dissent, I haven't thought it through. The dissent is more worried about what comes next than they are worried about what Justice Gorsuch decided. Isn't that the case? Um, Again, I think think the answer is is yes and no. Um, uh, My reading of this case, uh, is that this is not merely a minor divergence 
our disagreement over what textualism tells us. This strikes me as a case where sometimes textualism can become literalism and become an abstraction. Uh, it's, an, it's, a, it's a clever kind of, it's a philosophical uh, argument, but it misses the forest for the trees. It's like, you know, asking this question, what does the word person mean? What does sex mean? Sex has something to do with male and female. Uh, the way he gets to his answers is, is, a, is, a, is a literalism that becomes almost un, uh, unmeaningful. It's like saying that uh, the term uh, vehicle, outlawing, say, vehicles, also includes baby carriages. But you know where you're getting into trouble if you think about the Second Amendment. If you adopt the originalist view, people are going to have powder muskets and nothing else. I I warn my conservative friends. That's that's precisely not where I'm going. I I, I know, but I'm not saying that if you're a literalism, that's what happens. What I'm saying is you should have a common sense meaning. And if, if it's unclear from the judge's point of view... The judge should not make that decision. They should defer to a legislative branch where they can. On the Second Amendment, you're going to regret that, Matt Spaulding. You're going to, I mean, on a common sense uh, textualism, which is what Hugh Hewitt argues for. You maintain the principle. The principle of the 64 Civil Rights Act is discrimination based on sex, which means male and female. No, no, no. They didn't say that. It means whatever sex means in the time. I'm, I'm doing Gorsuch, by the way. I would have gone with the dissent. I'm just trying to be honoring him. It doesn't mean male or female. It means sex. And sex in 2020 means something different than it meant in 64. And so we use the 2020 meaning. But, but, but since this is not a constitutional, I'll, I'll make your point, which is between a constitutional and a, and a structural statutory decision. Okay. If the statutory question is unclear, you defer to the legislature. Well played, Mr. Bond. Well played. But I'm, uh, I'm warning people. That's precisely they... <laughs> what he didn't do. So it was just too cute by half, and I think Alito got it exactly right. And that disturbs me when we start thinking about other potential things going forward, such as Roe. Well, we're going to come back to Roe in the next segment because next week uh, we get the the Our Lady of Guadalupe decision and we get the Louisiana abortion law decision. And next week we'll tell. Uh, Dean, Matt Spaulding is my guest. Don't go anywhere, America. We have one more segment in this week's Hillsdale Dialogue, except the Hillsdale.edu. And, of course, to ReliefFactor.com. I've been telling you about Relief Factor all week. Let me also tell you about HonorBoundCoffee.com. This is the weekend, please, finally, to get your coffee sent to your door by honorboundcoffee.com. Great coffee, great price, four different brews, four different grinds. you got 16 different choices. It's wonderful coffee, and every dollar of profit from honorboundcoffee.com goes to support military families in America. Please make the switch to honorboundcoffee.com and come back for the last segment of this week's Hillsdale Dialogue. Hey there, I'm Scott Bertram, and I'm the director of the Hillsdale College Podcast Network. This show and all the other shows on the network are listener-supported. That means we hope for, we count on, frankly, we rely on the support of listeners like you to make our educational outreach possible. One of the best and most convenient ways to do so is joining the Liberty and Learning Society. That's our exclusive monthly giving group. And in this month of March, we are looking for 300 new members of the Liberty and Learning Society. When you join, you'll help defend liberty through education, and you'll make shows like this one possible far 
into the future. All you have to do is visit hillsdale.edu monthly and complete the secure online donation form. If you need to pause or stop your gift at some point, no problem. Just call us. One of our friendly students or staff will help you. But today, will you be one of the 300 new members of the Liberty and Learning Society in March? Go to hillsdale.edu slash monthly to join the Liberty and Learning Society today. Help us bring these shows to you and other Americans at hillsdale.edu slash monthly. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt, joined by my friend Matt Spaulding, dean of the Claremont Graduate School, headquartered in Washington, D.C. All things Hillsdale are found at hillsdale.edu. And uh, all of the Hugh uh, for Hillsdale dialogues are contained at HughForHillsdale.com. Dean Matt Spaulding, um, the Supreme Court next week, or maybe the week thereafter if it goes long, has to deal with questions of the executive's power vis-a-vis the legislature on subpoenas, has to deal with the ability of the president to govern vis-a-vis requests for his tax records, has to deal with the right of religious institutions to hire and fire according to its faith, and has to deal with federalism and abortion in Louisiana law. Now we're getting to the quick. So how do these decisions have to turn out for you to think the conservative project is moving down the right road? Well, I mean, look, so um, uh, I think um, a lot of these decisions probably will go the right way. Um, And I think it will probably broadly vindicate the conservative legal movement. Although, as we've talked about, uh, the broad movement, I think, is not to be thrown out the window. But I've I've raised some serious questions, intellectual questions about it. In in particular, relative to this case, I think the um, earlier Guadalupe case is is crucial to see how that plays out. Uh, But I think the, the structural questions that you've mentioned are all important. But Let's let's stay on this this question. Continue our conversation uh, based on what Senator Hawley has raised here, uh, having to do with the decisions and as the, as that decision plays out. Um, uh, the, the the Guadalupe case will deal with how employers can can religious employers can uh, how it affects them or whether their religious liberty protection. Uh, that uh, if that doesn't go the right way, I think we've got a, a real problem here, Mike. Guesses yes. probably will, but we'll we'll see. Can we pause but, on but that? If if yeah, that goes the wrong way, we will have departed not only from the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, but from the Free Exercise case. And then I will join with Senator Hawley in wringing my hands. No, I, I I think that's right. But here, let me add a caveat, which is that decision by itself will. There are a lot of things there that that decision, even if it goes well, does not protect. So, you know, the, the, the bathroom issues, uh, free speech, uh, and, and recall, as a general matter, the Supreme Court has said that it's compelling state interest to get rid of uh, discrimination, and that oftentimes overrides other rights. So, you know, that, that decision, even goes well, doesn't solve all the problems. So, you know, all of these things, I think, again, we just and, – and here I think we will agree um, – all of these things point to, to the importance of being vigilant and staying on top of this. These are not easy, you know, I voted, the judge is appointed, problem solved. Uh, but if you, and then to the Louisiana stuff. case, Louisiana has required of its doctors admitting privileges at a hospital near it if they're going to perform abortions at clinics. 
that a similar law was struck down in Texas. They will have to distinguish the Texas law or overturn it, which I believe they actually will do. And I believe yep. I read yep. Justice Roberts Citizens United concurrence on when stare decisis matters as being the most conservative ex- exploration of stare decisis on the books. And conservatives no, and, have to and, read that. Right. And, and, I, and I think that, that, now this gets back to your earlier point, which is that on constitutional questions, he's been quite good. Um, and here will be an, an opportunity to see that, uh, see that again. So that'll be very important. Uh, and I think, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, just a lot of the structural questions they will uh, they will get to recall that we have I, I think we now have really five justices, all of whom are really good on questions of administrative law uh, matters. So I think there's all sorts of hope uh, to that those kinds of decisions will all probably go well. So, yes, this is not this is not over by any means. Uh, it's not a lost cause. Uh, I think I think what Holly uh, raises is good that he raised. I, that's the that's the job of a U.S. senator, um, and, and he's right to raise it. But uh, the, the notion that we should throw out the baby with the bathwater uh, and call it a lost bargain, I think, is is incorrect. Amen. Uh, and that, that is the, good for him to push. Good. For that is push. the key thing for us to to leave our audience with this week is the Judicial Conservative Project is never over. Uh, Matt Spaulding. It can never be over for as long as there is Article One, Two, and Three. It will, and the states. It will never be over. But, but, but also, just by definition, that's what it means to be self-governing. Self-governing plays out in the executive branch. It plays out in the legislative branch and the judicial branch. Part of the the push against uh, the, the the judicial branch is precisely the argument that it is not. We do not have a system of judicial supremacy. Uh, this is a balance of powers, checks and balances. Uh, that's why Senator Hawley is right to raise these questions. He's a U.S. senator. That's his job. But the court should always make decisions based on how they read the Constitution within the constitutional structure. And if they do so and continue to do so, and we are vigilant in electing congressmen and presidents, that's we are only All will be well. back to those founding principles of the Declaration of the Constitution. All will be well. Matt Spaulding, always a pleasure. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. If you're watching at home, I put on my Navy hat. And the reason is the president spoke at West Point. The vice president went to the Air Force Academy. I'm just doing a shout-out to all those United States Naval Academy graduates of 2020. God bless you, too. And we'll have a great commencement for you next year. And next Monday, I'll be back, America, on the next Hugh Hewitt Show.